So Jesus, you do make us brave and unafraid. Lord, we ask that in the middle of elections and all kinds of things of our own lives that you would teach us through your word and help us be like you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hello, 945. Good to see you here. Thank you. If you're still looking for some seats, some of you in the back, there's a couple, uh, there's some seats up here in the front. Uh, Good to have you all here. Uh, In the musical Hamilton, which you'll probably get sick of hearing me talk about, um, but in the musical Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton sings, I am not thrown away my shot. I'm just like my country, young, scrappy, and hungry, and I am not thrown away my shot. It's actually rap, which I considered performing for you, but my kids are in church today, and you know, I, I decided not to do that on the chance. Remote though it is, that that might embarrass them. So, but in a way, I think that song is a call to those of us who follow Jesus. We are living in a watershed moment, and there's a lot of people worried about the election, about racial tensions, poverty, breakdown of the family, youth feeling pressured and alone. And Jesus can heal a lot of that through us if we do not throw away our shot. We've been doing a sermon series called Resilient Pursuit. And at first we talked about how Jesus helps us move in faith, not fear, be unashamed, persevere. He makes us resilient so that we can do the second part, which is to relentlessly pursue him and his revival of all things. To help, for instance, heal a toxic political environment, knowing that whoever gets elected on Tuesday, Jesus is still going to be Lord. And we talked about that two weeks ago. Three weeks ago, we talked about racial healing. We've talked about how there are these points in history where Jesus' people changed entire cultures, the Roman Empire, the 18th century America, not through getting the right people elected, but by a one-by-one strategy, caring for the poor, reconciling races, having joy when persecuted. As each person lived that way, one-by-one others were drawn into that Jesus way of life, and as more joined, the culture gradually changed, and slavery and gladiator games disappeared, and hospitals and, and civil rights and things like that suddenly started to emerge. And I believe it can happen again if we do not throw away our shot. Now, not that it's up to you or me to heal the whole culture. No, just our little corner of it. That's how the Roman Christians did it. As we each ask Jesus, show me how I can bring healing in my school, in my workplace, neighborhood, one by one. And as that spreads, everybody benefits, including us, who get to be a part of it, which answers one of our deep longings, which is to know that our lives have significance and that we're living a bigger story. And Esther is a great example of how to do that. The story that we read just a little bit of right there. She saves her people from genocide. And Esther was a Jew, just to give you her story, Esther was a Jew living in exile in Persia. And at the time, the king, his name was Xerxes, threw a six-month party, okay, six-month party, for several thousand of his closest male friends. And the text says, the wine was abundant and each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. In English, we call that a fraternity party. Then he calls for his wife, Vashti, to come show off her beauty, probably in a humiliating way, showing the exploitation of women, which sadly still happens today. And she says, hmm, let's see, appear naked before a bunch of men after six months of Miller time, I don't think so. And she refuses to come. Then the king's advisors say, you got to control your wife. Otherwise, her conduct will become known to all the women and they will despise their husbands. Someone's a little insecure. 
So they say, let the king issue a decree that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. I love that. The irony is rich, right? Vashti's in trouble because she doesn't want to go see the king. So Xerxes says, fine, your punishment is you can't see me. Right? You can kind of see Vashti going, score. Well, then he deposes her and has a contest to pick the next queen based on what? Her ability to discuss Greek influence in Persian politics? No, on her beauty, right? So Xerxes holds this contest, Persian idol, right? <laughs> Always have to leave a little beat there for you to get it. And then the contestants go through 12 months of beauty treatment. 12 months, okay, that's a lot of prep for one date, right? So like, let me ask this. I mean, many of us have gone, most of us have gone on a date. High school's just got done with homecoming. At some point in your life, how many of you have spent 10 minutes or more getting ready on a date? Yeah? Okay, how many of you spent more time getting ready for the date than the date actually lasted? <laughs> how many of you had more fun getting ready for the date than on the date? As Pastor John Ortberg points out, this is just weird, right? Like imagine turning the process of selecting a spouse into a, a public contest where you bring a bunch of beautiful women together and they all vie for the affections of one bachelor. <laughs> what kind of primitive culture <laughs> does that? So Esther wins, put that in quotes, and becomes the new queen. And she is set for a life of luxury and prestige as long as she does not rock the boat, and she does not. And at this point, Esther's not very heroic. She is passive and goes along with an abusive patriarchal system. Vashti at least stood up to it. She hides her faith as a Jew, even from her husband, because she's afraid of what everyone will think. She has made some moral compromises, maybe a little bit like you and I do sometimes. But what this shows is that God can use us anyways, no matter how much we mess up, God can still use us to bring healing in our little part that he has given us. Well, the next thing that happens is a man named Haman launches a plot to kill all the Jews, genocide of the Jews, and gets Xerxes to go along with it. So Esther's cousin Mordecai says to her, you got to get the king to help us. You're, you're, you're a queen now, right? And Esther says, I can't. The law says that anyone who goes to the king without being asked to shall be killed unless the king spares them, and he has not called for me in 30 days. In other words, you, you wouldn't want me to risk my comfort, my status, my life. God wouldn't want me to do that. Surely not. And then Mordecai says, do not think that because you are in the king's palace, you alone of all the Jews will escape. The palace can't protect you. Your job, your achievements, the cool things that you're able to buy, your, your popularity, those things can't ultimately save you and they will not ultimately fulfill you. And then he says, and, how do, and who knows, but that you have come to your position for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, it's good that you're in the palace. God can use you in the palace and it is fine to enjoy the palace and enjoy the things that you have, but Esther, don't need the palace. Don't be tied to the palace. You were made for something so much more. You have not been brought to this point just for the sake of getting some great clothes and the coolest chariot on the block. You have not been brought here to be the ultimate trophy wife. You have been brought here to partner with God in making up there, come down here. So Esther, stand tall. This is your moment. Do not throw away your shot. And see, you and I are in the palace. You may not think so, but just being in the U.S., living in the U.S., globally speaking, that automatically puts us in the, in the palace. 
But, we, but, but more than that, we also all have a sphere of influence. Maybe your sphere of influence is just to your friends at school or a coworker, or a neighbor, but we all have some sphere of influence. And we're not going to feel like life is an adventure until we live into the purpose God put us there for in the first place. In four ways. The four ways to do that. First, from Esther, use what you got. See, even though she's queen, Esther actually doesn't have very much power in a patriarchal system. She's pretty powerless, but she uses the little bit of social capital she has, goes to the king, and the king spares the Jews and her. Your job, your connections, your friends, your time, your money, education, all are resources that God can use. Even your screw-ups. I just heard about a dad whose daughter went to the same college that the dad went to, and the daughter was really struggling with her grades. So her dad emailed her and said, I want you to know I got a 4.0 when I went to that school. 1.0 the first year, 1.0 the second year. <laughs> Added up to 4.0. I love you. Do your best. That's all we're asking. You are enough. See, he used what he had, his lousy academic record, probably exaggerated, but used it to make her feel loved. And how much time did that add to his schedule? That would be about none. Just did the same things he does differently. Now, you may say, well, I don't know where to start. What should I do? Well, again, God's not calling any of us to change the whole culture, just our little part of it. Right? So switch the question. Not what, but who. Not what should I do, God, but who? Who is in front of me? Who are you calling me to? Who? That can be one person or a group of people, and it, it, it doesn't have to add anything to your schedule. It just might be doing your job or school differently with an eye to see what Jesus wants to do there. Start where you are, do what you can, use what you got. Second, rely on Jesus. After Mordecai challenges her, Esther says, okay, I'll go do that. Now you, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Fasting always included praying. Because she, she knows she can't do this on her own. She needs God's help and she needs the community's help. That's why she says, get everyone. Who are those friends who, like Mordecai, challenge and also encourage you? And then when was the last time, ask yourself this question seriously, when was the last time you had a season of authentic prayer where you asked God for courage and clarity how and where he wants to use you? We do not do this on our own. We need Jesus' help. And he is at work even when we don't see it. You know, Esther is the only book in the Bible that never mentions the word God. He's implied, but no one ever mentions the word God. And that's, 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 that's not an accident, right? It's not like the writer got done writing the story and went, oh, shoot, I forgot to put in God. Right? No, he's making a point. Sometimes God works kind of behind the scenes, subtly. Right? And in Esther, there's a string of coincidences. I mean, the king just happens to get drunk and happens to pose his queen. So that, and if that hadn't happened, Esther never would have been queen. At one point, Mordecai saves the king's life, but the king forgot about it. But then one night, the king just happened to have insomnia, and the text says, so he ordered the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. I love that. I can't sleep. Let's read a story about me. <laughs> and then the book just happens to open the page that recounts how Mordecai, say, a Jew, saved the king's life, and that just happens to be the night before Esther is going to ask the king to spare the Jews' lives, so he's already in a good mood to spare the Jews' lives, right? A string of coincidence. But coincidence is just when God decides to remain anonymous. Right? When, you know, when God parts the Red Sea, everyone goes, oh yeah, there's God at work. But when, you know, when King Xerxes gets drunk, you don't go, see, there's God at work. But, but he was. Use what you got. Rely on Jesus. Third, at risk to yourself. 
Esther says, get everyone to fast and pray, and I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Those are some of the bravest words in the Bible. I want to be brave like Esther. See, she was in the palace, but precariously so. The previous queen, Vashti, got deposed for far less. And maybe you feel that way. Man, I'm barely in this job. My boss already kind of doesn't like me. Or, man, my social standing in this school or in this company is already kind of precarious. Man, if I I let people know I'm a Christian, if I stood up for treating people right, if I I, said I'm not going to do something that's immoral right, or or, or unethical, if I did that, man, ooh, I don't know what's going to happen. But Mordecai says to Esther, if you don't risk the palace, you're going to miss the whole reason that God puts you in the palace in the first place. And it's going to go stale on you. See, if we use our money and our connections and our time and all of that just to further our own, our own cause, feather our own nest, then pretty soon our net worth becomes our self-worth. And now the palace is a prison because you're terrified to lose it. And you get bored and want something bigger. Pastor Tim Keller tells a story of a woman who did something at work that should have cost her her job, um, but it didn't because her supervisor took the blame for it, which could have cost him his job, and it didn't, but it did cost him a lot of reputation, a lot of standing uh, in that office. So she asked him after he did that, she said, you know, I've had supervisors take credit for the stuff I've done, but never someone who took the blame. Why did you do that? And the boss said, well, I follow Jesus, and Jesus took the blame for me, so I live differently. And she said, what church do you go to? And she eventually ended up becoming a Christian. Now, he lost some reputation and some standing with his boss. He took a hit for that. Now, of course, that woman started following Jesus, and then a whole lot of stuff in her life got richer and better and bigger and deeper. You know, he changed his li- her, her life. So there's that. But also his character changed. See, we become what we do. And he wasn't just the man who, who sort of imagines being brave and doing the right thing. He's the man who did. And it didn't add one minute to his schedule. He just did the job he's doing anyway differently. You know, up until this point in the story, Esther's kind of passive, kind of she just goes along with the crowd, but here she takes charge and is taking orders from no one. Like she's bossing Mordecai around, go do this, go do that, goes to the king, right? There are 14 times in the book that she is called Queen Esther instead of just Esther. 13 of those times happen after she says, if I perish, I perish. She becomes a person of greatness, not by trying to be great, but by giving what she had to help heal what's broken. Which brings me to my last point. And this comes from a woman named Barbara Williams Skinner who has been fighting racism in in the name of, of Jesus. And she says that sometimes God says to his people, it's not your fault, but it is your time. Esther, it's not your fault that the king is a joke and anti Semitism is rampant. It's not your fault, Esther, but it is your time. Just like the mess of this world, your sin, my sin, violence, racism, all of that, it was not Jesus' fault, but it was his time. Esther saves her people by identifying with them and then mediating for them in front of the king. Just as Jesus, who lived in the ultimate palace and didn't say if I perish, but when I perish, and died for us to pay the price for our sins and now mediates for us with God. That's how valuable you are. And when you get that you are loved that deeply, now it all just becomes stuff and you can enjoy it, but you can also use it to help others. Over the last uh, year or so, I have been blessed to 
make friends with a man named Alexis, who's part of this church, and he sometimes helps out in here in worship, and if you've ever seen him read scripture, you know how powerful he is in reading. He's from Rwanda. You know how powerful he can be. You know, sometimes maybe you, if he's here, you've heard him shout, hallelujah, when I'm preaching. I love Alexis. Well, he's also a pastor at a church uh, that meets here in our upper campus on Sunday mornings at 11. There's another church, or African church that he pastors. Well, when he was in high school in Rwanda, living with his uncle, God nudged him to help the street kids of Rwanda. That ministry eventually grew uh, and became a whole lot of stuff, uh, which eventually actually got him into trouble with the government. So now he had to come here as a refugee uh, to the United States. And he's got an inspiring story. I want you to, I want you to take a look. My name is Alexis Rohumuriza. I grown up in Rwanda, Rwanda city, Kigari, district Kichukiro. In 94, in Rwanda happened genocide. Was many kids lost their parents and many kids are on the street. So when I was in high school, God is calling me just to go to preach. I just go wake up night to preach gospel of God. I meet with the orphan kids, and so I realize they don't have any place to stay, and they don't have any money or things they can. They don't have even new future. I start to welcome in my small home for three bedroom. I start for 10 kids on my home. I didn't have no any idea how I can do that for them, how the support of financial will come from, but I was really trusting God because he's the one he told me to do that. I was really believe he will do some things. So I start welcome and every day God opening the door, some people support, some people bring their clothes, some people bring the food, and other people support each every month for the kids. I see there is, they need very much education. In 2005, I rent a small housing for bedroom, I started the school. From 10 kids, grown up to 151 students, I started catch up school. From that time, I was renting the small housing and I was really praying God how he can provide to have a very big school, which is I was needed. In 2010, I pray two weeks and fasting. I say, God, this year, 2011, provide the school. I know you are able. I know you love the kids. In 2011, God provide support. I built the school. Now the school is a very big center. Right now I have 1,224 kids. When just I came to US, I asking God, I take two weeks and pray and fasting. I know that me pray and fasting, that, was, that is my secret. Very strong, communicate with God. I asking God, God, I know you love me. What will be next step in my life? After two weeks, God tell me that, Alexis, you will be a pastor. You're gonna open the church. I asking God how I can do that. Because the first of all, my English is very low. How I communicate with the people who speak English, 
but God give me answer the same as I give to Moses. I am who I am and God is provider. He knows the way that I started this church. My church now is called New Hope Revival Church. From all the process was very hard to my life, but was in other ways was very powerful and good because I was really peaceful. I'm doing what God needed to do. He was on every single day. He gave me the strength. Every time when I don't have any idea, God, he brings new idea for next step. God is working and I still expecting more work from God. It's inspiring, isn't it? It was not Alexis's fault that there was a genocide in Rwanda that left so many orphans, but it was his time. And he did that in high school, high school. Now, I'm not saying you have to go start a school. Alexis didn't set out to start a school. He started small. The who that was in front of him were those orphan street kids, right? He started small, a nudge from God that he followed, and then it grew. All of us can do that in our school, workplace, home. Alexis used what little he had. He didn't have a ton of money, but he used a little bit he had. He relied on Jesus, prayer and fasting, that's his secret. It cost him, it cost him dearly. That four-minute video cannot capture some of the difficulties he faced, but he had to come here as a refugee ultimately because of what he's doing there. But as he said, it's better and bigger because I get to see God working all the time. And that school is still changing lives even though Alexis is here. So here's your homework. For the next two weeks, ask God to show you how he wants to use you in the corner that he's put you in, whatever place you're at. Ask God to show you how does he want you to fill in the blank. It may not be all my fault, but it is my time to what? Who or what are you called to help heal? And the the question, that, that question is actually in the homework section of your bulletin. Take it home, pray over it, maybe even fast a little from food or social media or whatever, and ask Jesus to show you how he is calling you to be part of healing his world. That may be just being, doing everything you're doing already, but differently at school or at work. Maybe it means mentoring someone in our youth group or Eastside Academy or, or Jubilee Reach. Maybe it means helping the poor. Get Connected can help you with all kinds of stuff. Maybe it just means walking with a friend at school or at your workplace. Pray about it for the next two weeks, and in two weeks, I will give you your next step. Here's the deal, okay? If Christians change the culture in Rome by one, one by one, simply by living a radically different life of service and sacrifice, if they did it again and changed the culture again after the fall of Rome, then we can too. It can happen. It can happen here. I mean, my goodness, for Pete's sake, the Cubs won the World Series. Anything is possible, right? Mariners, 2017, right? We have been put here for such a time as this. And our culture is not going to be healed if we just force Starbucks employees to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays or get them to go back to the red cup because we don't like the green, it's anti Oh, my goodness. Could it get any dumber than that, right? It's going to happen when we start to live the way that Jesus lived, when the people of God see poverty and loneliness and say, that's not okay, and we're going to do something about it. When we use our education and connections and resources, not just to leverage our own lives, but to help people in need. 
It's not your fault that people don't know Jesus, but it is your time to live differently at work or at school. Do those things that provoke the question, the answer to which can only be Jesus, so that they can see the real Jesus. It may not be all your fault that your marriage is on the rocks, but it is your time to admit that it's probably at least partly your fault and to get the help you need to fix it. It's not your fault that the school you go to is a pressure cooker of expectations, but it is your time to speak a word of grace and to make friends with the friendless. Not your fault that this country practiced the sin of slavery for 250 years, followed by another 100 years of Jim Crow, but it is our time to acknowledge that there are still systems of injustice that work against people of color, and I gave you examples of that three weeks ago. It's not all our fault, but it is all of our time to admit that truth be told, there's probably some racial prejudice in me too, and it is time to root it out and to listen to and advocate for and build relationship with each other and bring racial healing. It is our time to say, no, it stops. It ends here. It stops in this generation. It's not your fault that this election is toxic, but it is our time to bring healing by listening to the other side, by disagreeing respectfully, refusing to demonize, to show our world that there is a different way. And our world is dying for this good news, and we have the secret sauce. His name is Jesus. And when the world is at its worst, God calls his church to be at our best. And it is a fact of history that when God's people live the genuine Jesus way of life, people are drawn in, and as more and more are, the culture gradually changes. It may not be our fault, or at least all our fault, but Bell Press, it is our time. We have been put here for such a time as this, and I, for one, do not want to throw away my shot. How about you? So Jesus, help us to be those people who follow you, are made brave and strong by you, so that we can heal your world where you have put us, that corner you've put us in. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.